All right, if you'll take your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter number 5, we're going to finish our series tonight in the Beatitudes, and uh, I know we took a couple, a week or so off while I was away, and I appreciate Chris Cox and Nate preaching while I was gone, and so we're going to finish this up tonight, and we're going to start a new series next week. And uh, I'll say more about that um, next week, give you more information about the length of it and that sort. But I want to um, come to Matthew chapter 5. And remember, as we've looked at this over the last several weeks, we're looking at the, the Beatitudes a little bit differently, I hope. Instead of looking at them and just reading through the entire uh, group here of Beatitudes, starting verse, verse number three, we're breaking it down and we're looking at the process that takes place. We come to the end of the process this week, and it's blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. And how many of you, I've asked you this just about every week, how many of you want peace in your life? I know I do. I want peace. And although we may desire it and want it, there's a process. And what the Lord is showing his disciples here is the process to come so that we can be peacemakers. And so we find, again, just by introduction, we find in verse number three, blessed are the poor in spirit, those that with humility. It starts with a process in our heart, a a poor in spirit or a humble spirit. It leads us then to the place where we become spiritual mourning. We're looking at sin, where we're not involved in habitual sin or consistent sin, but we're, we are mourning over the, the state that we find ourselves in when we sin, and we then come to the place of meekness. Remember, meekness is not a weakness. Meekness is, is controlled strength and dealing with others. So we come to the poor in spirit through mourning, through meekness, which as we come through each of those, and I'm not going to obviously go back and teach each of those weeks. Those were individual weeks. It brings us to the place in our lives where we begin to hunger and thirst after righteousness. There are many Christians. They struggle. Sometimes they even think, am I even, am I even saved? I, I, I don't have that hungering and thirsting for the word of God. Am I, am I even saved? And, and the reality is, you, yes, you, you, uh, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, yes, you are saved. But, but there could be pride and there could be uh, habitual sin or, or, or this lack of meekness in your life that is, is causing you not to hunger and thirst after righteousness or have a passion for the word of God. We come to the place then where we studied about hungering and thirsting after righteousness, and then we move on to this area of forgiveness, being merciful. And we study this, many of us, it finds it very difficult to forgive, to show mercy. We hold on to things. People have hurt us. It's difficult for us to forgive. You can forgive because the Spirit of God lives inside of you, and God forgave you. And so not in our own strength can we forgive, but with the help of the Spirit of God, we're able to forgive. And then we move from forgiveness or being merciful to a pure in heart. 
And we studied that pure in heart. There's many people that believe this. I just can't overcome this. I'm just, I'm doomed to continue to fail or continue to live in this uh, habitual sin or this addiction. And how do I overcome this? And, and we can move to a pure in heart. And then we come this evening. And we're going to conclude our series this evening. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. I want to make some very pointed, on-purpose statements this evening that I want you to, I want you to get. If you're taking notes, please write these, these things down as we talk about being a peacemaker or peacemaking. Peacemaking is, is not an option for those who belong to Jesus Christ. It's not an option. This is not something that we say, well, I'm going to choose not to be a peacemaker. We're commanded in the Word of God, and we're going to see that here throughout this evening, to be peacemakers. Matter of fact, it's, it leads us, it brings us to this place where we're able to be, or he says, blessed are the peacemakers. And we're called to, to peace, and that means we, we are to contribute to the peace, and for uh, one of those things that every single person in this room ought to contribute to peace in would be our families. Would you agree with that? All of us should be contributing to peace. They, they may all love each other dearly, or they may be at each other's throats constantly, or maybe they're not even speaking to each other. But whatever the situation, God's calling you as an individual. He's calling you his child, calling you as a believer, is that to, you must do the best of your ability you have to contribute to peace in your family circle. He's called you to be a peacemaker. 1 Corinthians 7.15. I'm going to give you several scriptures tonight and write these down. If, you're, get, if you can get there quick enough, wonderful. If not, just write these down. Go back to study these. But Paul tells the Corinthian church this, but God has called us to peace. He's called us to peace. Every child of God... You have been called to be a peacemaker. He's called you to peace. If the relationship in your family, if they're healthy, your calling is to play your part in keeping your family healthy. See, sometimes we just think that peace comes, a peacemaker comes, if things are unhealthy or there's conflict, I've got to be a peacemaker. No, even when things are well within your family unit or your, your work or your church, we are to do our part in keeping it healthy, continue to be a, look for areas to bring peace into your relationships. If a relationship in your family, if it's become dysfunctional and in every one of us at some point in our life, there's some type of dysfunction that's going to happen in our family. Let, let, let me say this, and I know everyone would agree, but sometimes we don't like to admit this. At some point in our lives, there's always going to be some type of dysfunction in our families. There's no perfect family. I know we go to church and we put the, the face on, and, and, and uh, if we're not careful, we can try to fool people with it, thinking we're fooling people. But your calling is to use whatever influence you might have to make your family better. Live in peace. The, the same principles applies in the church. 
God calls you as a member of the congregation where you worship, a congregation where you serve him to play a part in maintaining the unity. Don't get this, don't miss this, the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Ephesians 4.1 says this, I therefore, Paul speaking to the church at Ephesus, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. And that vocation doesn't necessarily mean your job, the, the job that you get paid for. It's the vocation. It's what God has called you to do, your service to him. He's called you uh, um, that you walk worthy of that vacation, how, a vocation. How do we walk worthy? The Bible says with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, how do we bring peace? It's, it's lowliness, meekness, long-suffering, giving someone opportunity to grow. Long-suffering. And, and, and Paul says this in verse number two, forbearing one another in love. One way for us to be a peacemaker is giving people opportunities to grow. Forbearing, forgiving. But he says forbearing one another in love. And then he says this in verse number three, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And if that peace has been lost, do whatever we have to do to restore it. But we are called to peace. We're called to peace in our families. We're called to be peacemakers in our church. The same is true when it comes to relationships in your workplace. It's not, well, I'm going to have a Christian family, so I'm going to be at peace there. I'm going to raise my family in church, and I'm going to serve the Lord, so we'll have peace there. But, but I, I don't know. In the workplace, you know, we're called in every area of our life to be peacemakers, every area. So family, church, work, at your school, in your neighborhood. We're to be peacemakers, looking for opportunity to bring peace. Now, since peace is our calling from God, we ought to then be intentional. Don't miss this. We ought to be intentional in pursuing it. If, if, if we see in the word of God, he calls us to peace. We're, we're commanded, blessed are the peacemaker. We're called to peace, he says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Then we must be intentional about pursuing it. And I use that word pursuing on purpose because being a peacemaker doesn't just come just by letting it happen. Oftentimes we think of being a peacemaker is this, I'll just not cause waves. I'll just, listen, being a peacemaker is not, well, my husband is just difficult to get along with, and if I, if I, if I resist him, then, then it's, it's horrible at home, and so I'm just going to be a doormat so that I can have peace. That's not being a peacemaker. God didn't call you to be a doormat. He called you to be a peacemaker. You say, well, the opposite with me, my wife. And, and so I just, I just let her have her way or, or these relationships. I just, I just uh, want to be a peacemaker. So I just don't do anything. No, that's not being a peacemaker. Proverbs 12, 20 says this, deceit is in the heart of them that imagine evil, but to the counselors of peace is joy. A person that lives in peace, a person that is a peacemaker, you know what they find? Joy. 
A person that just simply avoids conflict and feels like they're just being walked all over and thinks that's what a peacemaker is, doesn't find joy in that. A peacemaker finds joy in their life. So where there's conflict, our task is to find out the best way to move toward peace. Let me say that again. Where there's conflict in our lives, the, 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 uh, uh, the task is to find the best way to move toward peace, moving in the direction to find peace. We um, talking about in our vision 2020 about building. And if I said to you this, we're going to build a building but we're going to try to do this without architects because they're just too expensive. And um, we don't really need like plans. Um, we're just going to want guys to show up with shovels and some ladies. If you don't mind, maybe you can help us. And we're going to put this building up and um, we'll get a cement truck. And, and we've seen p- other people do this. They've got rebarb. So we'll just start putting things together. And um, what do you think? How many of you would say that's probably not a good idea? It's probably not a good idea. Planning involves weighing options, considering outcomes, laying out ordered steps in pursuit of a clearly defined goal. But peacemakers don't stop with plans. They plan the work, and then they work the plan. If I said to you this, all right, you talked me into it. Let's get plans. Let's go, we'll, we'll go to architects, we'll get plans, we'll get everything we're supposed to get, and then we'll just go lay the plans over there on the property, and the building should be built. No, you've got to plan. Planning involves weighing your options, and this is how someone seeks peace or moves toward peace. In weighing your options, considering your outcomes, laying out ordered steps in pursuit of a clearly defined goal. They strive for peace with everyone. A Christian ought to desire peace with everyone. Yes, even that person that annoys you the most. Yes, I'm looking at everyone's eyes. Everyone's eyes are that person. Yes, yes. We're called to be peacemakers. We're called to be peacemakers with those that we love. We're called to be peacemakers with those that we don't love. (laughs) We're called to be peacemakers with our enemies. That person that's difficult to get along with at work, you are called to be a peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers. And that word strive, they strive for peace with everyone. That word strive indicates effort. Hear me, peace doesn't come just because you want it. Peace doesn't come because Sooner or later, it's all going to work out. That word strive indicates effort, hard work, perseverance poured into the pursuit of our God-given calling. Did you get that? It's a pursuit of our God-given calling. God has called us to peace. We must strive as Christians. We must strive, pursue it, strive for it, because this is what God has called us to do. Hebrews 12, 14. Would you mark this verse down? The Bible says, follow peace with, and guess what he says? All men. Follow peace 
with all men. Now, I know what you guys are thinking. It doesn't say women. So ladies, you're off the hook, right? No, when that word men means all human beings. So follow peace with all men. And it doesn't stop there. And holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. So follow peace with all men. Now, what does making peace look like? What does it look like? How many of you want peace? How many of you got it all figured out? You know what it looks like. We might in our mind want to think what we know what it looks like, but, but how do we, how, what does it look like in practice, and how can it be best pursued? Because I want peace. I find in God's word where it tells me, blessed are the peacemakers. I find where he calls us to peace. I, I find where he says that we ought to be at peace with all men. That's all men. We're supposed to be at peace. So what does it look like? How can I pursue that? Because number one, I want to be obedient to the Lord. And number two, I want peace. I want you to write this down. How to pursue peace. Number one, deal with conflict early. Deal with conflict early. So often, if we're not careful, because we don't deal with something early, it comes up and it causes more problems later on. If you counsel much, you would find this. Most of the time when someone comes for counseling, the problem that they're having isn't necessarily the problem. The problem that they're experiencing now comes because there was problems back here that weren't dealt with. And, and because they weren't dealt with, now there's a whole stream of problems now because it wasn't dealt with early. I've talked with many that have said this, I recognize this early in my marriage, but I just figured it would go away or it would change. Now, it's gotten bad. I dealt with this at work, maybe when I first started, and I figured maybe it was just, it would go away. Now it's got out of hand because we've not dealt with things early, deal with conflict early. Proverbs 17, 14. The Bible says, the beginning of strife is as when one letteth out water. Therefore, leave off contention before it meddleth, uh, before it be meddled with, or, or quit before the quarrel breaks out. Um, we, uh, Michelle and I, I was uh, uh, at a conference, preaching at a conference beginning of this year, and it was not too far from the Hoover Dam, and so it was only about 40 minutes. And um, I've read about the Hoover, Hoover Dam in school, and, and uh, it was a short ways away. And I said, well, let's, let's take a drive over there, and I want to see this Hoover Dam. And I was expecting, like, you know, a little, a little dam. This thing is massive. It's huge. And about the same time, they were talking about another dam that was out west that they actually had to drain because it had sprung a leak, and they were afraid that if it broke, it would flood everybody that was downstream, and it would cause major damage. And so what they do is as soon as it begins to let water through, if they don't do something about that water and they just continue to let it run through, it would wear away eventually break up the dam, and eventually water would just continue to come gushing through. 
And so what you have to do in that situation is when you identify there is a issue or there is a problem, you have to uh, uh, um, fix that, that leak in that dam immediately before it becomes a major issue and it starts to break away large amounts of that dam. When I was on staff at a church in Cincinnati, we had about a four acre or so pond um, and we noticed we noticed over a period of time we were losing water to where, I mean, it was down a, a ton of water. And what we realized is that some beavers had dammed it up, up backstream some. And so we went back there to try to figure this out. And it looked like this huge uh, secondary pond because the beavers had dammed it up. And so we, um, uh, some men went back there and started tearing this dam apart and, and um, uh, looking at, like, how are we going to get rid of, I mean, this thing you could walk across. It was huge. How could you get rid of this? You would need a machine to get rid of this. But what one person there, a very smart person, said, well, start to dig in the middle of it and tear it apart. And, and as we started to dig there and start to tear it apart, some and the water started coming over it, the water started doing the work for us. And eventually, enough of that dam was broken through to where enough water could come through. And the more water come through, the more it washed it away. And sooner or later, after uh, a little while, that dam just pretty much disappeared because of all the water. Now, we didn't take the whole thing away. We just had to get enough going, let enough water pass through to begin to wash that away. And guess what happened? It broke. And that sometimes is the problem with us. That's the picture we have here. The beginning of strife is like letting out water. The beginning of strife. Instead of dealing with it, instead of dealing with the problem while it's small, if we wait till the dam breaks, there's so much more problems downstream. Now, now think about this. Think about this if you would, please. Every broken marriage had a point where strife began. Every broken marriage. And they either chose to deal with it then, or they chose not to deal with it, and now it becomes what we would call a broken marriage. Every divided family had a point where strife began. Every splintered church had a point where strife began. Every hostility had a beginning of strife. Every single place of strife and contention, it had a beginning point. In, in, in the first harsh word, the first wound, the first moment of distrust, when that began, that was the time for a peacemaker to get involved and begin to repair, deal with it immediately. You don't see it at the time, but the end was in the beginning. Do you get that? The end was in the beginning. It, it, the problem, you can point all the way back to that point where it began. And so here's what we learn. Deal with conflict early. Peacemakers deal with conflict early. Don't let small things fester and don't let it take root because if you do, when you let something take root in your heart, it will grow. And when it grows, 
it becomes contention. And when it grows, it builds into anger. It builds into resentment. And you begin to filter everything in your life through that moment of strife. And you've convinced yourself, I'm going to be at peace. I'm going to take the higher road and I just won't deal with it. But it took root in your heart. And now that it's taken root, you just keep in your heart and your mind, when you get anxiety, when you get upset, when you get angry, when you get frustrated, you go back to that time because you didn't deal with it then. Number two, if you write this down, please. Write this down, number two. How do we deal, how do we, how do we um, pursue peace? <clears throat> Would you write this down? Number two, prepare for a long journey. Peace does not come with one conversation. It's not, well, I sat down, I shared my heart. I don't know why things aren't better. Because prepare for a long journey. 1 Peter 3.11 says this, let him eschew evil and do good. Then he says this, Peter speaking says, let him seek peace and ensue or pursue it. Let him seek peace. And I want you to notice the two words that Peter uses here in seeking peace and pursue it. He says, seek and pursue or ensue. You think you use those words by mistake? You know, those two words give us the, um, uh, implies this. Seek implies that it may not be easy to find. Seek. Listen, if I said to you, hey, I want you to find a table with a brown top. How many of you would have to seek it to find it? You already have your eyes on it. There's no seeking it. It's right here. Now, if I said, turn around, and uh, I want you to find this white hanky, and, and I'm going to go hide it. Don't look. I'm going to go hide it someplace, and not out in the open. You would have to go seek it. You'd have to go find it. It implies it might not be easy to find. Pursue or ensue implies this, that it might be far off. So seeking it implies it might not be easy to find. Pursuing implies that it might be far off. And hear me, please. Most of the time when we seek peace, we don't allow enough time to find it. We get frustrated too easy. It doesn't happen. You, you can have conflict in a moment, and it takes time to bring that situation back to peace. Pursue it. Seek it. Peacemaking is a process. It's not an event. It's not an event. It's a process that takes place. And hear me, maybe it's in our marriage or maybe it's in our work relationship or it's a difficulty with the brother or sister at church or a difficulty with a neighbor. You know, wherever that conflict is, it is a process. It's not just a one-time event. It could be a one-time event that caused the conflict, but peacemaking at time takes longer than just an event to make things right. Where there are deep wounds, the path to peace may not be quick and easy. But don't forget this, Christian. You're called to peace. It's difficult. 
He doesn't say it's easy. He says, blessed is the peacemaker. Peter says, pursue it, seek it, implying that it's something that's going to take time to achieve. But we cannot get discouraged. We cannot what stop when the path gets difficult. We must pursue and seek peace. If you want to be a peacemaker, you better be prepared for a long journey. And the question is, if you want to be obedient to God's word, therefore you must be a peacemaker. You've got to prepare for this long journey. And God speaks about making peace with with those that are far off. He says in Ephesians 2.13, Paul, writing under inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, writes this, But now in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes were afar off, are now made nigh by the blood of Christ. He uses that word, we're afar off. The, The process of God making peace with you and I, it was a long journey. And I want you to think about this. It goes back to the beginning of time. It took all of the promises of the Old Testament, all of the work of the redeeming Israel. How many of you, you're reading through your Bible in a year and you're reading through Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. And how many times have you said, what in the world is wrong with these Israelites? I mean, they just keep messing up. Like, could you imagine walking over on dry ground and then, like, complaining because something didn't go your way or doubting God? The reality is it was a long process. It took all the promise of the Old Testament, all the work of redeeming Israel and and sending the prophets. It took the, the coming of Christ from heaven. It took his perfect life fulfilling all that God requires of us. And, and it took his atoning death as a sacrifice for our sins. It took his, him rising from the dead, ascending into heaven. Even then it took the sending of the Holy Spirit who awakened us, you and I, to, the, to our need of Christ and caused you to, to be born again. And, and, and as he applied that full effect of the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ into your life and my life, moving from a, a state of condemnation into the blessings of an adopted child of God, God did all of that to bring peace with us. What a journey. Yet we want peace overnight. We want, well, I had a conversation it should be done with. That's a long journey, and God has been relentless in pursuing peace with you. Mark this down, number three. Are you with me? I was was, uh, in India teaching... And um, in India, they just sit very stoic. They don't, they don't move. They don't make any facial expressions. They just sit very, very, very stoic. And so every once in a while, I'll say, are you with me still? And they're like, yeah, why are you asking? Like, yeah, I said, You're, are, we, are we good? Yeah. All right, number three, write this down. Take a step toward peace. Take a step toward peace. Romans 12, 20 says this, therefore, if thine enemy hunger, let him starve. No, no, it doesn't say that. What's it say? If your enemy hunger, what? Feed him. It doesn't say if your friend hungers. If your enemy hungers, a person you don't like, the person that is, is, is 
hurt you, the person that said that, that mean thing against you, that person that, that and I know enemy is a strong word, but, but he uses the word enemy. Feed him. If he thirsts, give him drink. For in sowing do thou heap coals of fire on his head. Now, some people said they use that verse almost in a prideful way. I'll do it. I'll, I'll, see, that's what the Bible says. I, I'll go feed him just so fire, coals of fire, heap, just so they burn. No, that's not what that verse is saying. You do it to bring peace, and it softens them. And the goal is for them not to continue to be your enemy. That's, that's the goal of peace, to change that relationship. Yes, it's my enemy and I fed him. And yes, I was my, they were my enemy and I gave them to drink. And they're no longer my enemy now because I sought peace. You know what it's saying there? Take a step toward peace. Now, this is hard. And I want you to think this evening of someone that has hurt you. And in Romans, you're commanded to meet a need in their life. And that's what peacemakers do. And don't forget, we are called to peace. We are commanded to peace. Matter of fact, all of the process of the Beatitudes bring us to the place where we can be a peacemaker. You know what we're commanded to do? Be kind to someone that wasn't kind to us. Look for a need in their life and look to meet that need so that the relationship can be softened. Making peace may be a long journey, but even the longest journey begins with a single step. If we're going to go on a journey tonight, you know what we have to do first? One step. Have you ever looked, in, in, in keeping this in context, looking at a broken relationship and saying, how are we ever going to bring peace? It seems so far away. It starts with one step. You're hungry? Here. It might not change. That one single action might, might not change the whole event, but what it does is it starts the process of peace in your life. You're thirsty? Here's another step. Oh, you need some coals on your head? No, that doesn't say that. It doesn't, doesn't say that. If peace seems a long way off, think about what might be one small step in the right direction. I won't ask you to raise your hand this evening, but I know if you're human. Let me ask you if you're human, raise your hand. Okay, good. Then that means this. You've had odds with someone. You've had conflict. There is someone in your life that you are commanded to seek peace. Pursue it. Find it. Take that step in the right direction. What might you be able to do that would be well-received by that other person? If somebody was hungry, do you think somebody would receive food? You remember, you remember, you know, um, out on the playground, you're out there playing, and you come in, and you need to drink from the drinking fountain. I mean, you are just parched. You're ready to just die because you are so thirsty. If you offer someone water, would they refuse it? 
No, that's what we ought to look to do. Is there an act of kindness that you can show? Evidence of goodwill that you can display? What would be one step in your life right now that would make this better? What could you do? One step that would make another step possible. It's a journey. Well, what one step can you take right now that would help you with the next step? That would help you with the next step? That would help you with the next step? Who is that person and what can you do to seek peace? Now think about the situation of conflict in your own life. What would be one step that you could take toward that person in which you are in conflict that would make the process of peace possible? Write this down, number four. Aim at humility, but never humiliation. Aim at humility, but never humiliation. No one likes to be humiliated. You know you send off that email, and then later on you can say, I didn't mean it that way. You read it wrong. Huh. Aim at humility. Philippians 2.8. Would you write this first down, Philippians 2.8? In being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. Speaking of Jesus Christ. He humbled himself and became what? Obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. When God made peace, he came to us in Jesus Christ. He took flesh. He, he spoke with his enemies face to face. Aim at humility. Go to someone face to face. When you're going to resolve conflict, you must go to that person face to face and humble yourself. And when Christ came, he didn't come with a display of strength. He, he chose to make himself vulnerable. Jesus says this, peacemakers shall be blessed because they shall be called the sons of God. He said that I change that around, obviously, in Matthew 5, 9, but he says, blessed are the peacemakers. Why? They shall be called the sons of God. That's not a works-based salvation. He's not saying this is how you become a son of God. He didn't say that you'd become a son of God by this. He said you'll be called Sons of God. Sons are people who reflect their father's likeness. The likeness of our heavenly father is peace. Peacemakers reflect the likeness, a likeness of God their father. And I'm going to give you just four ways, and I'll be finished here. Four ways that we ought to reflect the likeness of our father. Would you write this down, number one? Peacemakers are called sons of God because God has peace in himself. God is peace. He is peace. He has peace himself. The starting point for anyone that wants to be a peacemaker is to have peace in your own heart and life. You've got to have peace in your life if you're going to offer peace to someone else. You can't give what you don't have. See, God can offer us peace because he is peace. He showed it. He came to us when we were dead in trespasses and sin. He showed mercy and, and peace toward us. When, when we couldn't save ourselves, he came to where we were. We couldn't work our way to heaven. If it was dependent upon us to make peace with God, it'd be impossible. The only way that we can have peace with God is because he came through Jesus Christ. There's no other way. I sat on the airplane when we went to 
um, India, we flew into Mumbai and then we had a two hour flight to South India and I sat next to a, a man and he was a, a Hindu man. And um, we began to ask, I just started with, I said, tell me, tell me what you believe, you know? And, and uh, I said, are you a Christian? I knew he wasn't a Christian, but I just started the conversation. Are you a Christian? He says, no, I'm Hindu. I said, oh, I, what does that mean? And he began to tell me about all of these gods. He has a room with all of these gods. And, and, and I mean, it was, it was complex. And he began to tell me, and I sat there and, and listened to him, and, and he began to tell me that, that, you know, if you do bad, you could die and become a dog or a snake. Um, and if you do good, you could become a cow, you know. And, and the whole point of this was to achieve to be a god. So if you continue to do good in your life, wherever you are, one day you might be a god. And I'm listening to him, and as he was finishing up about this, I said to him, I said, I'm a Christian. And I said, can I just be honest with you? I said, what you were telling me sounds so confusing to me as a Christian. Because I don't have to do anything. God did everything. He left heaven and became flesh and paid the sin debt. And he says, oh, I know about Jesus. And see, what they'll do is they'll say, well, I'll take Jesus as well. I'll put Jesus as one of my gods because I don't want to offend any of them. And I said, well, the Bible says that Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and life. He's the only way to heaven. And this is where we begin to disagree. I said, but there's nothing I can do to merit God's favor. He loved me. He sent Christ. He became flesh. He went to the cross. He made the atonement. We talked all through this. And about an hour, he, I sat and listened to him. And the next hour, he sat and listened to me. And he said this. He said, I've heard about Jesus. They know about Jesus. He said, but I never heard a Christian explain to me Jesus. And we got off the airplane, and um, then I started thinking to myself, I could be like witnessing to somebody that could throw me in jail as soon as we got off the airplane. And so I got off, and he followed me. I said, oh, no, here it goes. So I turned around and said, I'm bigger than you. You don't want to mess with me. No, I didn't say that to him. He came up to me and he said, can I give you my email address? I said, sure. He said, I want to hear more about what you believe. And so we're going to email back and forth. And, but how exciting it was to share with someone that Christ, he sought peace with us. I don't have to try to live in a way to where he recognizes my good works. He paid that sin debt on the cross. And a person who lives with unresolved conflict in his heart or in his own heart can't bring peace to others because they don't have peace themselves. A person that's living in turmoil in their own life, it's difficult for them to have peace with others. They first must come to have peace within themselves. Peacemakers are people who are able to bring peace to others because through Jesus Christ, they have found peace themselves. Does that make sense? Because of that, they can bring peace in relationship with others. Write this down, number two. Peacemakers are like God because they don't stand on their own rights. Stay with me on this one. This is where many of us battle. I wasn't wrong. I was right. Okay? Seek peace. God the Son didn't hold on to what was his by right. He left heaven. 
He stepped down and came into the world for us in order to make peace. And before you insist on your rights in a situation of conflict, remind yourself that if God would have stood on his rights, you and I would be in hell forever. You don't make peace by standing on your rights. You make peace by approaching someone in a spirit of humility and reconciling. Number three, peacemakers are like God because they move toward trouble. Now, this is difficult. Kind of goes along with what I said earlier. Peacemakers are like God because they move toward trouble. When, we, when the world was at conflict with God, you know what he did? He moved toward us, even though it would lead to the cross. Peacemakers don't mean to avoid conflict. And this is where, please understand this, people think, well, I want to be a peacemaker, so I'm just going to recluse myself, and I'm just going to, I'm not going to deal with them. I'm just, I'm, I'm no, at times being a peacemaker, it means you move toward trouble, realizing it might hurt, but that the only way it's going to be resolved is by you moving toward it with a spirit of humility. Peacemaking doesn't mean to avoid conflict. a matter of fact, peacemakers often cause trouble in the pursuit of peace. Just by simply desiring peace, it causes trouble. But peacemaking is not... It's not for the faint-hearted. It takes courage. For Jesus, it meant laying down his life. Number four, peacemakers are like God because they love others before they are loved in return. And again, this goes against when we've been hurt. This goes against when we've been wronged. But God loved us before we loved him in return. Romans 5.8, what does the Bible say? But God commended his love toward us or demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I was a sinner when Christ died for me. He still loved me and still came. When there's conflict, it's easy to settle back. It's easy to wait for someone else to make the first move. But if God would have done that, you and I would be lost forever. 1 John 4.19, the Bible says this, for we love him How's the verse end? We loved him because he first loved us. So peacemakers are called sons of God because they act in a way that mirrors the way God has acted toward them. Did you get that? Peacemakers are called the sons of God because they act in a way that mirrors the way God has acted toward them. Those four things I just gave you, that's how God acted. We're called the sons of God, not standing on our rights, taking the initiative, moving toward trouble. Now, think about what being a peacemaker meant for Jesus. It meant going to the cross. It meant going to the cross. It meant trouble. But that takes us then to the last great truth we find in the Beatitudes and Matthew chapter 5, look with me in verse number 10. We talk about the peacemakers. Then we come to the place where blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are they which, uh, blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. And look what the result is. Rejoice and be exceeding glad. 
For great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. I was, um, last week when I was teaching in India, one of the sessions I taught on was faith. And about halfway through that session, I stopped. And I just said to those guys, those pastors, said, I feel so inadequate speaking to you about faith. Because there are many that were in that room that were suffering persecution because of their faith. There are many in that room, either they themselves or someone they love is in jail because it's illegal to evangelize and preach the gospel. But that would have been nice to tell me before I did that on the airplane, you know? For a foreigner, they get kicked out of the country. For a person living there, Matter of fact, while I was there, there is there are 80% of India is Hindu, 17% are Muslim, 3% are Christian. While we were there, as soon as the President Trump left, there was a uh, um, some writing between the Hindus and the Muslims. And they want the Muslims out of their country. They want a 100% Hindu nation. And many people died and were hospitalized. The prime minister, they, they told us while we were there, the prime minister ran and was reelected. And part of his platform was to get rid of Christianity in India. These men, they have left family. They've, they've lost, they, they, they could just come in and create heartache. How could you endure persecution? How can we get to the place where we would be willing to sacrifice everything for the Lord if we're not even willing to be at peace with our brothers and sisters? We won't. And that's why this pattern that we see through the Beatitudes, it starts with a poor spirit. It starts with mourning. It starts with me. It leads to meekness. It comes to be a hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Then we become able to forgive. We're able to have a pure heart and not be so full of sin and, and habitual uh, um, sin and actions of, uh, against the Lord in our heart. Then we come to a place where we're truly peacemakers. We're living at peace. Then and only then will we be able to live a life of persecution. I thought this, what they had taken from them willingly, I mean, it was persecution. Many, many Christians, many pastors that I was dealing with there suffer real-life persecution. And things are taken from them. Am I even at a place where I would be willing to give them out without even persecution? Just willing, give these things up so that you and I would have peace. If, if I'm not willing to have peace, I'll never get to the place where blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness for my sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. It, then it leads us to verse number 12, rejoice and being exceeding glad. Why are we as Christians at times so miserable? Why have we lost our joy? Why are we going through life like it's a, 
It's just a bad dream every day. Why are we so easily offended and so, so resistant to living at peace? We have seen that the, the first seven Beatitudes describe the life that God calls us to pursue. The eighth Beatitude describes the outcome of such a life. And what would you expect as you move forward in a pursuit of godly life? We should expect to find what Jesus found, blessings from God, trouble in the world. Blessings from God, trouble in the world. But if we follow this path, these lessons, this however many weeks we've been on these lessons, that path that the Lord laid out in the Beatitudes, we too will find the blessings of God and we won't allow the trouble in this world to steal our joy. Amen? Are you with me? <laughs> I wake him up. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, Lord, help us to seek peace. Throughout this entire series, Lord, we've come to the climax of this. Are we willing to let others persecute us for your name's sake? Are we willing to live a life where someone's taking something of us because we're serving you? We never will, Lord, until we come to this place of peace. And so, Lord, help us to pursue it. Help us to seek it. Lord, this tonight, if there's someone in our life that we've given up on peace, or maybe it's just too hard, it's too difficult, it takes humility, then, Lord, give us the strength by your Spirit. May we pursue this and seek it so that we, too, would be called sons of God. Not, not for salvation, Lord. We know how that comes, but, but we're recognized as your children. So, Lord, we pray that you accomplish that so that we could be exceeding glad, so we could go through life and there'd be a difference on how God's children behave versus this world. So bring the joy back to our life. Bring that exceeding happiness back, Lord, that we're missing. Give us a heart joy to serve you. May we understand the peace you've given to us through Jesus Christ, and may we exhibit that to others as well. We thank you, Lord, for this lesson and these lessons in the Beatitudes. Encourage us tonight, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Lord bless you. Have a great evening.